right. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22 this evening. If you want to open to Luke 22. Kids, if you have a Bible, Luke's about like two-thirds way back. Like here's how my Bible looks. So this much is before Luke and this much is after Luke. So it's toward the back of our Bible. Um, and as you turn there, I want to look back and just kind of think back of a few weeks of conversations that we've had. Um, and each Sunday, Matt or Nicole or myself have tried to share a little bit of what the Bible says about prayer, um, specifically about looking at the ways that Jesus prayed, some of the ways that Jesus prayed. Um, and we've also tried over the, 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 the weeks to get kind of increasingly practical. So we, we don't just want to be a church that that discusses prayer, like we want and are, are praying that God would cause salt and light to become increasingly more and more a church who prays. And so each of the six weeks so far, we've seen what to pray. We've seen what, what Jesus prayed. Um, we've seen Jesus pray for personal needs. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. And, and, and for spiritual needs, give us, uh, forgive us our trespasses and keep us from temptation. Uh, we've seen Jesus pray uh, for the Spirit to empower him for ministry and mission. And we've seen Jesus lead us to pray for non-believers and the world that he sends us into and for other followers of Jesus. And then last week, as Miriam just reminded us, we saw Jesus model and, and lead us to pray for God's direction and to listen and wait for God's leading. And so each week we've seen what to pray. We've also seen in some ways how to pray. We've seen Jesus pray by himself. We've seen Jesus pray with other people. Uh, we've seen immediate prayers and out loud prayers. And each Sunday we've practiced a little bit like what Miriam just led us in. We've tried to practice praying. I hope you practice some praying with your DNA and in your household as well. So we've seen what to pray. We've seen how to pray. But I also want to want to think back before we kind of close this series next week and, and note when Jesus prayed. Like, what were some, some situations in which he prayed? So, so anybody think back. So we've talked about the Lord's Prayer. He prayed at his baptism. He prayed um, uh, prayers over his disciples, that kind of stuff. But, but can anyone think of, kids or adults, what were the times, what was going on, what were the situations when Jesus prayed? When did Jesus pray? Those same prayers. What was happening? What was he doing? Where was he? Anyone know? I know. You do? <laughs> you can keep it to yourself. It's you cool. Know something. You know something. We all know something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's where we're going to dwell tonight in Luke 22. Is Jesus prayed when he was facing the temptation of, of going to the cross. We saw him pray in the wilderness when he was facing temptation, being tempted by Satan for 40 days. Any other places or times that you... I don't know if it says pray, but he went off by himself about mm-hmm. John the Baptist died. That's right. Yeah, and even Nicole led us through some of that last week. Before he chose his disciples, he went out early in the morning, prayed by himself on a mountain. So he at least has at least some pattern of whether lament or listening or seeking God's direction, praying by himself. Anything else stand out? Where was he when he taught the Lord's Prayer? Anyone know? It's part of the sermon on... Yeah, he's surrounded by a huge crowd, right? He's probably more by a lake, actually, looking up at a, a Galilean hill. But, but, but yeah, he, he prayed with people, and he prayed early in the morning alone, and he prayed in huge gatherings, and he prayed at spiritual events. He, he prayed, Luke tells us, at his own 
baptism. He prays over dinner with his disciples. Um, today we're going to see him pray um, in times of, of deep need. And, and, and this is the point I want to bring up. Like there's no one set time that is the right time to pray. There's no one perfect time to pray. We just, we just haven't, haven't mentioned that aspect over the last few weeks of, of Jesus' prayer life. He, he just prays. If you need help establishing prayer habits, which some of us do, um, then know that as a good ancient Near Eastern Jewish boy, Jesus was raised praying at certain times during the day. Um, other, other religious traditions still have set times to pray, even some veins, some more liturgical or monastic veins maybe of, of Christianity, um, have uh, things such as uh, one practice called praying the hours. And so it's about every three hours from 2 a.m. To, to 9 p.m. There's just about every three hours, and they label them things like vespers and night watches, and there's just different things to pray over the next portion of your day. And so if we're trying to establish some prayer habits, you need some some first glimpses or first glances, then, I mean, you could try the 2 a.m. wake up for your first step, or you could just set a phone alarm for 9 a.m. or noon or pray before lunch or this kind of stuff. And, 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 and there's just lots and lots of ways to, to pray, lots and lots of times to pray. And so in addition to kind of the prayers on the hours, part of what Jesus modeled is that, again, there's just no right time. There's no one specific venue there's no one specific level of maturity or or cleansing of yourself or anything like there's there's nothing we have to do to enter into prayer with God and and it's just worth noting before we close out our series that God is available he's here he's present he wants to dwell with us anytime and all the time I hope that's good news. I hope that's, that's freeing in some ways. There's nothing we have to do to approach God. There's no words we have to conjure up to approach God anytime and all the time. But with that said, today I want to just kind of continue the theme that Miriam just started us out in and turn to what is for me at least like the hardest kind of prayer. Uh, today we're going to see Jesus model for us just this wrestling prayer. It's, it's prayer that's hard and heavy, and, and even if I can say this prayer that feels like it doesn't go answered. Anyone have a prayer that's ever been hard or heavy, or a prayer that doesn't feel like it goes answered, and all of us could absolutely raise our hands. And so on one, on one hand, this, this, this hard, heavy kind of prayer, there, there's, one, there's one type of prayer we can't learn from Jesus. Anyone know what, what the one type of prayer Jesus never prayed was? Jesus, could, Jesus never prayed a prayer of, conf, of personal confession and repentance. Why? Because Jesus never sinned. Some of the heaviest and hardest and lament. Jesus definitely prayed lament and, and, and prayed confession on behalf of Israel, but Jesus could never pray to God to confess sin and repent because he never sinned. And so we see Jesus wrestling, though, with this other type of hard, heavy prayer. Jesus wrestled in a way that kind of echoes the Psalms or, or echoes Job. The, the, big, the big question in a wrestling prayer is why? You see this if you see Psalms of Lament. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? Jesus prays on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forgotten me? Why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me? And so even though Jesus never prayed confession and repentance, we can learn what it looks like to wrestle in prayer from Jesus. And so in today's verses, we're just going to see... Maybe a reality that shocks us. It's, it's a reality that, if I'm honest, doesn't sit easy with me. But we're going to see that God the Father doesn't answer Jesus' own prayer in the way that Jesus asks him to. 
But we see that God the Father answers differently, and in that we can find some hope. So, so let me pray for us, and we'll dive in. So, Father, would you help us to, to dwell even in this kind of prayer? It's easy to talk about prayers of thanks. It's easy to talk about you meeting our needs. It's hard to talk about wrestling with you in prayer. It's hard to talk about prayer when it feels like you don't answer. And, and so, God, I thank you for the model that, that you give us in Christ. And I thank you for the hope that you give us in Christ. And I pray that he will be glorified and that we will trust you more and wait for you more, even as we have these few minutes together to think about prayer. It's in your son's name. Amen. So I had the honor of teaching our elementary kiddos last week. Um, And and in the monthly elementary class, uh, we're also discussing prayer this fall. Um, And so last week was on this topic. It was on the topic of, quote, unanswered prayer. And there are quotes with an asterisk because I want to submit to you, God never doesn't answer prayer. But, but, But we'll get there in a minute. So it was on unanswered prayer. Separately, Jesus tells his disciples that, that grown-ups have a lot to learn from kids. You remember this part of the scriptures? So kids, elementary kids especially, if you were here last week, I know there's not a ton of you here today, but I would love your help in teaching the grown-ups. Can you help me teach the grown-ups, elementary kids who were here last week? All right, so here's what I'm going to ask you. Big question, just like a week ago. Do you remember anything we talked about outside, or do you just remember there were cats running around? Because there were definitely cats running around. Yeah, you remember that? And the candy, sorry. Okay, so beyond the cats, beyond the candy. Anyone remember anything from last week, Eckler? You put on a shirt. And I, I did put on a shirt that I wore in first grade. I didn't, I put it on over, just so parents are, are aware, but, and it didn't fit very well. So, anyone remember anything we talked about? Or do you remember why we put on the tiger shirt? It's okay if not. Sure. Because no, 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 no. Don't know what the future is going to be, but God does. Right. So there you go. We don't know what our future is going to look like. Kids didn't know, don't know what they're going to look like when they're 40. They don't know what their favorite shirt is going to be when they're 40, but it's not going to be their favorite shirt as when they were in first grade. Okay. So, yeah. So, we talked last week about how we don't know the future, but God knows the future. Anyone remember anything else that we talked about? Is there a such thing, kids, as unanswered prayer? No. Travis, is there anything as unanswered prayer? Is there a prayer that God doesn't answer? No. He always answers our prayer. But sometimes he doesn't answer in the, in the way that we want. So this is what we talked about with kids last week. And, and grown-ups, this is just as hard for us, maybe harder for us sometimes. God always answers prayer. God doesn't always answer in the way that we want him to. So, so I'd always heard and, and kind of been shaped and formed, even in theological training, Bible training, that God always answers yes or not yet or no. And I want to reframe that a little bit because I think that all those are true. God does answer yes sometimes. God does answer not yet sometimes. And God does answer no, but I think it's always a no but. That there's something that God has for us. He's not just mean. And wanting to tell us no, there's, there's a reason that he tells us no. So it's no but. We, we even said the first week, as, as we saw Jesus teach the Lord's Prayer, that Jesus tells his followers that the Father knows what you need before you ask. And so I need us to, just to, to, to dwell in this simple truth that's really hard for us. If God doesn't give us, kids or grown-ups, if God doesn't give us what we want or ask, it's not because God is unhearing. 
And it's not because God is unloving. And it's not because God is unable to give us what we want. He is our Father in heaven who's holy. He is good and He cares for us and He's all-powerful. If God doesn't give us what we ask or what we want, it's because what we truly, truly, truly need is different than the thing we're asking for and wanting. Grown-ups, can you think of any reasons that God might answer differently than what we ask or what we want? Can you think of any... Anything that God wants to draw us into? Miriam set us up really well for this question a little bit ago, but can, can you think of anything that God might be inviting us into or any reasons why he might, might answer differently? Any come to mind? Protection. Protection. Yeah, I think that there, there's, that's one of the huge themes in Scripture is that sometimes what we ask or want isn't best for us and that it is on some level, physical, spiritual, emotional, future, whatever it may be, it's, it's somehow dangerous for us. And the hard part is if he doesn't give it to us, we would never know. And so it's hard to trust God sometimes and trust that he protected us because it's not like we have the movie that we can go rewind and play out differently. But God answers differently for protection. Any other reasons? Because we want to spend it on ourselves. Yeah, yeah, because because he's protecting us even from from self. Yeah, if, if you, he gives us everything we want. It's like the parent giving the kid candy every single time they ask. He wants us to seek him more. Yeah, yeah. That was the very first. As I thought of this question, dependence. Dependence is the first reason I think God gives us something different than what we want a lot. And so I even think of Paul, who, who says, I had this thorn in my flesh, and I asked God to take it away from me. Three times I prayed. And for us, some of us are like, three times, man. Like, I prayed 300 times for this thing. But, but it was a big deal. It was a completion number in, in the Jewish understanding of prayer. I prayed so fervently for this to be taken away. And, and what did God say? I'm not going to take it away. Is it because God was mean? No. Right afterwards, we see Paul say that God was showing him that God's strength was sufficient, even in Paul's weakness, that that God was inviting Paul to actually believe that his grace is enough, to trust God over Paul. And I think just, too, I think that there's, there's some things that God is accomplishing in and for his kingdom We've said throughout this whole series that the greatest need that we have, no matter what we feel, the true greatest need we have is more of God's kingdom, more of God's spirit, more of our dependence on God, more of his will and his way. And so sometimes just God and his priority are so far greater than ours. And so this comes back to kind of where we started six weeks ago by saying that if we pray in order to try to conform God to our will, in our lives, in our community, in our world, and tell God what we think is best, we're missing the point of prayer. But if through prayer God turns us increasingly to understand His will in our lives, in our communities, in our world, and if through prayer God teaches us to rely on Him more than ourselves, then then we're understanding the heart of prayer. Because prayer helps us know God's heart, helps us know God's will, God helps us know God's timing, even. And so for some of us, 
I just want to speak this over you. If God doesn't answer a prayer in the way that you want, it's not because you lack faith. It's not because you're somehow not holy enough. Like, I just want to free us from some of this. This is really commonly thought, even if we wouldn't say it out loud. Like, you can't earn God's yes to prayer. You're not deficient if God isn't saying something. Our relationship to God in prayer, by all means, is a mystery. Like, we can't dissect it and, and, and understand it fully. But our prayer is definitely a means by which God enacts change in our lives, in our community, in our world. And yet somehow, this is the mystery part of it, that change only happens if it lines up with God's will and God's kingdom and, and his greatest good and our greatest good. And those things sound contradictory, that prayer changes things and that it only changes things if it's what's God's best. But somehow there's the mystery of prayer. And so last week, our elementary kids put together a puzzle. But they didn't have a box to look at. They didn't know the big picture of the puzzle. That was so mean, wasn't it? And there were pieces missing from the puzzle. And there were other pieces that we had sharpied out. Because we're super mean. But y'all, that's our daily reality, isn't it? Like, if we're really honest, as we look at our lives, we only know a few pieces. We only know situations that are, that are either present for us or maybe behind. Maybe we know what the next hour or so or day is supposed to hold, but we don't even technically know that. And so we don't have the big picture. We don't have all the pieces. Some of the pieces we have even are blacked out. Like, we see dimly, but God sees clearly. We see some pieces of our life, and God sees the big picture. And, and so I just want to stop and ask, are you willing to trust God as you pray? We see dimly. He sees clearly. We see pieces. He sees the big picture. Are you willing to trust that God when you pray? And there's a right biblical answer to that. Of course, the, the leading answer is, well, of course. Of course I trust God. But if we're honest, it's hard, isn't it? Perhaps, perhaps you're more like me. I like to think that I'm in control of my life, which is, you know, laughable at best. But man, I still try to. I, th- I think I know best. I trust me. I'll, I'll, as Miriam said, we turn, we turn anywhere else but God to try to solve problems or bring things back under our control. And so if God doesn't answer the way that I want, rather than search my own heart, and ask what might not be lining up to God's will, I, I instead more tenden, more, 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 I have a tendency instead to become more frustrated, to figure out a different way, to force things sometimes. Is that just me? Trusting God is hard. And so to be really practical, if God answers yes to something you pray, then we get to celebrate and praise God because he's showing us that our heart and our prayer and our desires are aligning with his. And so when he says your kingdom, or when he says seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added unto you, we can know like if God says yes to a prayer, then somehow we're, we're, we're in line and communion and, and our desires are, are lining up with our good and gracious God. That's worth praising and celebrating. But if God answers no, or if God answers not yet, 
there's an opportunity to search our heart. And on one hand, like if we realize that our prayer isn't seeking first the kingdom of God, if it is trying to do everything ourselves or just gain everything I want or, or squander it like the, like the prodigal son or this kind of stuff, then, then would, you, would we trust God to change our desires and change our prayer to a better desire, a better prayer? Or maybe are we even introspective enough to realize whether God's saying yes or no? Do we pause to pay attention? Or on the other hand, if we think, no, like this really is a prayer that I really, in, in my heart of hearts, think is, is, is part of God's kingdom coming, his will being done. This is a prayer that I think lines up with the heart of God. Then, then even if God is saying no or not yet or not answering yes, are you willing to be persistent? And are you willing to bring that prayer before God again and again and again? Because part of asking, do you trust God in prayer, is also saying, are you willing to trust God's timing? Are you willing to trust God's answer, but in God's timing? Because he may say no, but. He may say no, but. He may say no, but. He may say not yet, not yet, not yet. And then sometimes the not yet turns into, yeah, now. Now's the right time. Bottom line. At times, what seems best for us in a given moment is not what God knows is truly, truly best for us. Whether it's the right step, or the right time, or the right desire, or maybe if it's in the long haul. Or maybe sometimes even you step into something that God feels like, he's, it feels like God is saying yes to, only to see that thing. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's a, a new place to live, or maybe it's even something simple or that kind of stuff. Maybe, maybe we step into that and it doesn't go like we thought it would. Does that mean that God was mean or that you might not have been following God? Or could it be that God had something for you in that that you wouldn't have been able to know, learn, grow in, be invited to without going through that experience? So I don't know that there's a way of looking at it and being like, I utterly got that wrong. Like Miriam said, even suffering is a crucible through which joy is produced. Things that feel like this didn't go as I wanted it to, or man, this feels like a whiplash. Sometimes that's where God meets us most. And we may not see for 10, 20 years or ever what God had for us there. Do we trust God in prayer? It's in that tension, though, on one hand, knowing objectively that God is king, his will, his ways are better than ours, even admitting that we only see pieces of the puzzle and that we have no idea of the future. And then the tension on the other hand of liking what we like anyway or wanting what we want anyway. It's in that tension that, that, that Jesus' example in today's verses is really, really helpful. So read with me in Luke 22. I'm going to start reading in verse 39. This is after Jesus prayed with his disciples. This is after he instituted the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. He went out, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. 
Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping because they were sorrowful. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you might not enter into temptation. Now just for context, these verses describe Jesus' final hours before he's arrested. The rest of that night, he would be up receiving beatings and being mocked and going through trials. And the next day, he would be sentenced to death and he would be crucified and Jesus would die. That's the cup that Jesus said, would you take this from me? But what do you notice about this? This is the second to last recorded prayer we have of Jesus. What what do you notice as I read that? What stands out to you about what Jesus prayed, how Jesus prayed? Anything stand out? He doesn't want the Father's will. That seems out of character, doesn't it, for Jesus? And yet somehow Jesus never sinned. Which gives us some hope when we also don't understand what God's doing. To wrestle with God, church, isn't sin. It can become sin, but just just to wrestle with God, to to seek His will, to, to press into Him, doesn't mean we're sinning or else Jesus would have sinned and He didn't sin. What else stands out? Yeah. He prayed hard. Do we pray hard? Or, or does, is prayer like a lip service thing for us? Is it something we know we're supposed to do and so we'll kind of give God a nod as we're making a decision? Or like Jesus prayed hard. Anything else stand out? Yeah. Yeah, he, he, he charges his disciples, right? Pray for protection. We, we often, I think more, more commonly, think of protection of like for physical things. You're sitting on a plane and see someone make the sign of the cross right as you take off kind of thing. Like, God, don't let me die today is, is, is a lot of our protective prayers. But here, protection is even like a, like a spiritual protection. Do we pray against the things we can't see? Or do we just pray for the things we can? And then here's, here's what I want us to dwell on for a minute is that God the Father answered Jesus' prayer. I don't know why this, this has never really stood out to me until I started digging in this. But right after he prays, take this cup away from me, but not my will, but yours be done. What does God do? He sends him an angel to strengthen him. I don't know, I don't know why that's just been lost on me before. Does, does God just not hear Jesus? No. Is he mean? No. Does he answer in the way Jesus wants? No. He sends a helper to give Jesus the strength that Jesus needs to accomplish God's will. That's, that's astounding to me. He's still in agony. He's still in agony. Yeah, yeah he doesn't, he doesn't the, even having an angel there doesn't relieve him. He's still wrestling. 
That's comforting, though. In this moment, even God the Son had to wrestle with the fact that God the Father's will, God the Father's way, was different than his own. And God the Father answered Jesus' prayer, not by saying yes. Instead, God gave his beloved Son the strength that Jesus needed to walk the Father's path and to fulfill God's will. It's it's in Jesus' example and Jesus' prayer here that, that I just, I think two realities can help us trust God when we pray, even if God's answer is different than we ask or different than we want. Even if God's answer is hard. The first that we can learn from and follow Jesus as he prayed is is just recognizing Jesus' posture. Not my will, yours be done. God, I really want this. Not my will, but yours be done. God, I'm scared. Not my will. God, take this from me. Stop it. Not my will, yours be done. Even as he's stressed out, distressed to the point of of shedding blood, sweating blood, Jesus' priority was still 100% focused on God the Father's will, even as he was expressing his own. It wasn't what he wanted. It meant great harm. And yet God the Son still remained humble before God the Father and saying, your kingdom come, your will be done over mine. So what would it look like for us in all of our prayer, even in our suffering, even in things that we don't like or don't want, what would it look like for us to adopt Jesus' posture? Not just to say, your will be done, because we know it's the right thing to say, but what would it actually look like to truly desire God's will and God's way above our own? And the second reality that I think helps us as we learn to pray like Jesus is that through answering Jesus differently than he asked or wanted, we can say without a doubt, God accomplished the best possible good. Is that fair? Jesus didn't, God the Father didn't say yes to God the Son, but by saying no but... God accomplished the best possible good for God and his kingdom. God accomplished the best possible good for us. And this is hard to say, God accomplished the best possible good even for Jesus. Here's what I mean. For God and his kingdom, God the Son's willingness to trust God the Father's will, even at great personal harm, meant that Jesus fulfilled the very mission for which he came and spent 33 years on earth. Because God the Son was willing to trust and follow the Father's will, Satan and evil were conquered. All sin was forgiven. All brokenness that God promised to restore and redeem one day took a first step in that restoration plan. Jesus' death and resurrection was good news for the kingdom of God. Jesus' death and resurrection was good news for God. For us, Jesus' willingness to trust God the Father's will, even if he didn't want it, means that we have life. 
Like, there's no better news than that. We have a Savior. This is the good news that had been prophesied for, for ages. We have a better story. We have a better kingdom. In Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus fulfilled God's promises. We can trust that there is hope for the hopeless and joy for the joyless and justice for those who are being treated unjustly and forgiveness for those weighed down by guilt and sin and shame and companionship for the lonely and, and, and freedom for those in suffering. And we can trust that all of these things are true. Why? Because Jesus completed and fulfilled the Father's will. And he is the good news for everything that we face. Aside from that, Jesus' death and resurrection also means that when we sin, and when we disobey, not if, by the way, but when we sin, when we disobey, when we reject God's will, ours is not actually to go and ask God for forgiveness. There's only, a, there's only like one reference in the New Testament after the resurrection to asking God for forgiveness. You know, you know what more commonly we're charged to do is? back to the one prayer Jesus can't model for us. We're to confess our sin, to, to recognize before God, hey, I'm, I'm outside of your will, I'm outside of your ways. Confession and repentance is our right response when we realize that we're sinning and we're rejecting God's will. And we ask him to restore us, but that's different. We don't have to ask forgiveness because why? Because we've already been forgiven. This, this one event, Jesus' death and resurrection, because God the Son was willing to trust God the Father's will, even at great personal harm, meant that every sin we have ever, are, or will ever commit has already been forgiven. There's joy and relief. We don't have to ask and wonder, God, will you, are you going to forgive this one too? It's promised, and it's been done. There's freedom. Jesus' willingness to trust the Father accomplish the best possible good for us. You are already and fully forgiven. It accomplished the best possible good for God and for us. But finally, Jesus' willingness to trust God the Father's will is also the best possible good for Jesus. The next day, Jesus died. We said that, that this is Jesus' second to last recorded prayer. Anyone know Jesus' last recorded prayer? Forgive them for they know not what they do. Maybe this is his third to last recorded prayer, actually. I botched that. Forgot about that one. Why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he cried out to God and breathed his last. How is God's answer. I will not take this cup away from you. How is God's answer good for Jesus if his answer led to arrest and mockery and beating and ultimately an excruciating death? It's because death for Jesus the next day was step one. And step two, a couple days later, is resurrection. Here's what I mean. It's only through Jesus' death that his resurrection could be possible, right? 
It's only through his sacrifice that Jesus would also return to his right place at the throne as the king of heaven and earth. It was only through Jesus' humiliation that Jesus received his exaltation. There's a guy named Paul Miller who wrote a book called The Praying Life. And, and, and Miller sees this as the pattern for us in the Christian life too. He calls it the J-curve. It's like here's where we are. The J has to go down before it can go up. But when it goes up, it goes up further than we currently are. It's not a U-curve. It's not a straight line. But man, that's how we want it to be, right? We just want to go from here to here, here to here. But Paul Miller says that the the J-curve is the pattern of the Christian life. To find ourselves at something better, resurrection, to use that loosely, we have to first enter something we don't like. A proverbial death. The way up is first down. But, Miller says, that's not bad. That's the way of Jesus. That's the way of his followers. And hear me, God doesn't just meet us on the other side. When we get back to something good, where is he? God meets us where we are today. He meets us in the valley of the shadow of death. And he knows as a good high priest everything that we're suffering. And he as a spirit comforts us and teaches us and guides us. And he's there even higher than the highest high that we could possibly accomplish. Jesus trusted God the Father, even though God the Father answered his prayer differently than Jesus asked or wanted. Jesus trusted God, though it led to hardship and persecution and pain. And because Jesus trusted God, God's will was fulfilled for God and his kingdom, for Jesus and for you. And so again, to close, if we were learning to play like, pray like Jesus, then these verses tell us it is okay. For someone, I believe this is just what you need to hear today. It is okay to wrestle with God. And it's okay to be persistent in your prayer. It's okay to be fully honest with your Lord. And it's okay even to argue with God. As long as our posture is not my will, but your will be done. Because it's in the wrestle and it's in the arguing even. It's in the, the persistence that we discover here's where I'm not aligned. Here's where I'm off. Here's what you say is best. Jesus didn't sin, but Jesus wrestled and persistence, persisted and was honest and argued with God. And if we want to learn to pray like Jesus, then these verses tell us that even if God doesn't answer us as we want or ask, man, we can trust that whatever God is doing, it's truly what is best for him, but also it's truly what is best for us. And finally, if we're learning to pray like Jesus, and these verses tell us that even when we doubt God, and when, not if, we're inconsistent in our trust in God, guess what? God's grace still covers us. And God is still consistent even when we are inconsistent. And as we sin, as we walk away from God, as we reject his lordship, we are already forgiven and his grace is 100% enough. 
So salt and light, that is our hope. As we pray, that's our hope. If it seems like God doesn't answer us, you're at least in good company. Jesus received the same, not what I wanted to hear, as some of us do. And as we face hard times and as we feel like we're facing some form of death, and even if our own desires die, man, we can trust God and trust that He is working His will and His way and His best for you. Because on the other side of death, guess what we're promised? Just like Jesus, we're promised life and resurrection. Is that good news? Okay. So just before he went out and prayed, he knew it was coming, right? You have to think that the whole time that Jesus is, is breaking the bread and passing around the cup, he, he knows so much more deeply what this thing is that he's enacting. We get so many pictures of the disciples and they're kind of clueless. But maybe tonight, as we consider this kind of wrestle, communion takes on even a little bit of a deeper meaning. So when he talks about his broken body and his shed blood, that can be kind of an esoteric thing for us. It can be kind of an ethereal thing for us. But, but, but Jesus is praying blood before he goes to his death. And so will you take the cup and tear off the little top part and take the wafer? And will you just... I'm just going to give you a moment to be silent. And will you just think on Jesus' wrestling and his obedience, and God's goodness. And then we'll take and eat together. Jesus is wrestling, Jesus is obedience, and God's goodness in the broken body of the Son. Church, this is the body of Christ, broken for you. Take and eat. ponder for a moment the fact that sin is so grief worthy, so lamentable but also that we get to grieve as those with hope, not because we ask God for forgiveness but because by his blood we have already been forgiven. Will you consider Jesus's wrestle and obedience and also your forgiveness because he was willing to obey God the Father. Jesus' wrestle, his obedience, and your forgiveness. If you have anything to confess and repent of, go for it. But you don't have to ask God for forgiveness because by his shed blood 2,000 years ago, by his willingness to trust God, you've already been forgiven. This is the blood of Christ shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Father God, I thank you for this truth. I thank you for your goodness. Jesus, I thank you on behalf of these gathered here in your church around the world that you were willing to obey even at great personal cost. And that it wasn't just our best. It was God's best and it was your best because you are now king exalted, the fulfillment of all prophecy, the coming one that we'll celebrate starting next week. 
God, would you cause us to wrestle well with you? Spirit, would you meet us even in our wrestling and guide us in that posture of humility? And would you build our trust in yourself, God, that whatever you have is not only enough, but it's better. It's best.